0: Hello and welcome to series one of The Power of Impact, Stories of a Better Future. My name is David Simmons and in each episode I shall be talking to someone about the charity they lead and how they managed to prove the effectiveness of that charity. So now allow me to introduce you to a lifelong friend and an inspirational charity leader. Avril McIntyre, welcome to stories of a better future. Um, Tell us about yourself.
1: Someone who I think I would describe as a community leader who has led a number of... I've led two charities, and all both started from the work of Lifeline Church. Um, Back in 2000, we set up an organisation in response to the needs that were around us. And... What started off as a very simple process um, became a gigantic organisation of £5 million turnover and 120 staff delivering a range of government contracts. To be honest, really in those years of the Blair years where there was a lot of flow of um, government funding towards the voluntary sector, and we were very much part of the in the forefront of what that looks like and how you shape that. Um in 2013 I stepped back from that role, mainly realizing I probably wasn't the person to lead an organisation of that size and um started to explore what grassroots community work looks like through an organisation that had also been set up through Lifeline Church called Community Resources. Right. Um Yes, so that has grown and developed. Part of that has been the amazing work that the team do in in neighbourhood level, but I have also taken on the strategic role for the Barkendagan Collective through that charity, which is the infrastructure organisation for the borough and coordinating the
0: social sector. Wow. So, gosh, there's a lot there. Um, Starting, first of all, with Lifeline Community Projects, that was... 13 years you were there running government contracts such as employability um language english as a second language um and of course the huge nursery provision that suddenly grew out of the sure start movement which was you were at the forefront of in those uh, mid mid blair years that was quite quite something but what, what was it that made you want to go back to the grassroots? What was, what was the thing that propelled you to do that? I think
1: the dilemma, and it's a really interesting ongoing exploration, the dilemma with delivering government contracts, it is very hard to not be shaped and driven by the need to produce outcomes rather than more the exploration of what works and what connects people to one another. I think government contracts is very service-orientated. You're delivering services for people and their support. And whilst I think at, community, at Lifeline Community Resources we always did relationally, at the end of the day you are driven by the outcomes for contracts. And I think it really did drive us in a particular, down a particular path that I think became unhelpful for our greater interest, which was about community. So the the grassroots has, I mean, it's been incredible. I think we made a number of choices. We only go for funding that really does enable us to do what we want to do and have chosen, well, had chosen not to do any government funding, although the BD Collective is a local government funded project. And, and then that, and that gives choices because then there's more limited funding. The team is small, but I, I am very excited about what they have been able to do. So I think it was the grassroots just gave us a chance to really do things a very different way.
0: Mm. And when you say grassroots, we're talking about local people in local facilities. Yeah. What sort of work does that involve?
1: It's kind of evolved over time. And again, it's interesting, in 2013, it was around, particularly around um, setting up a community hub that was replacing what had been a children's centre that had been run by Lifeline Projects and the money had been withdrawn from that. And so there was a lot of people engaging through a particular building. So we set up a community hub. And also there was a thing called Open Doors, which was about supporting a kind of one-to-one peer support group for um, people with particular mental health issues. So Community Resources is a, a locally-led organisation. The staff are local and people who want to explore what it means to connect in a different way. And it is in a very tight neighbourhood, actually. It's in a couple of wards in Dagenham.
0: Right, so gone. you've gone from really UK-based, well, London-based, certainly, all the way down to a couple of neighbourhoods um, which is great because, I mean, the, th- the, the principles, I guess, are the same in both cases, really. You're seeking to create community, but it's far easier, I suppose, at a grassroots level in that sense. Um, and, of course, the Corner Coffee House, huge, yeah. huge, <laughs> had a vested interest in that particular venture. Um, and then COVID struck, of course. How did that impact services?
1: Well, it was interesting because pre, just before COVID had started, we'd already started to challenge and were concerned about particularly the hub model becoming very much, if people come to us, then we will connect them. And it, and it I was slightly concerned that it was actually becoming a little institutionalised without realising it. The, the coffee shop had quite a different feel because that's very customer-based and mm-hmm.
0: people
1: just come. But the hub had started to feel a bit like we do a bunch of programmes and people come to it. And, and interestingly, so the COVID thing obviously stopped everything in terms of meeting, but what it did push us to was to see a very different community. And at the time, because through the BD Collective, we were involved in the um, coordinating the COVID response for the council around um, shopping and meds for local people, Community Resources responded to that and it really opened our eyes to a whole new bunch of people. So we were engaging with 400 people who had no one to do their shopping and meds. We continued to telephone support 80 of them and actually since COVID have been walking with them towards something else. So I think what it did was it opened up a very different way of relating to people that was not about them coming to us, but was actually connecting on doorsteps and par. It was just fascinating. It really opened something up to for us to understand who was actually in our community because the only people we were really connecting with, was with the people who would come through our doors.
0: Mm, yes, and suddenly you're telephoning people that have no connection to anyone at all. And one of the things I noticed at the Corner Coffee House was the local people who would come who did have nowhere else to go. And that was a particular eye-opener to us all, I think, in the neighbourhood. We just didn't know people like that existed. And of course, from there, then came um, then came the COVID outbreak and so on. What sort of stories do you have of of transformation, of change? In the last... I don't know how many years it's been since 20, 2000, so the last 23 years, gosh. I think it's
1: one of the stories, I tell two stories for Lifeline Projects, so which are mm. very significant. One was in Hackney, we were doing an adult numeracy program for mums, for women anyway, they have to also be mums. And at the end of the program, we were doing an evaluation. the The most significant or the most Repeated feedback was I made friends and I feel more confident in my parenting. And we're like, okay, interesting. And they were almost like the byproducts. And the making friends was the thing of you realise but quite an unintentional. Well, it by our very style of and our and our ethos, we did create relationship in those classes. But also the confidence thing was about these parents actually being able to help the children with the homework and felt more confident in their parenting because of that again a by-product but very significant and the other story is when we were running children's centers as a chief exec i was called in one day to this parents forum and and in honesty we ran parents i ran parents forum because you had to because it was part of the contract i always thought there were stupid things and we were ticking a box. But this particular parents' forum was run by this amazing children's centre manager we had. And it was a very, really significant group. And they called me in. And I, to be honest, I thought I'm going in to get some kind of like, you know, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? So I went in with very low expectation. And the parents said to me, I just want to know, we were asking you what you want from us in this parents' forum. And I'm like, oh, because we know what we're getting, we know how we're enjoying it, but what do you, as the chief executive of Lifeline, want from us? And I remember saying, I guess what I want is that anyone who comes into this children's centre has someone to, that we create an environment where we, someone, everyone has someone to call at four o'clock in the morning if they have to go to A&E with one of their children and the others can stay in bed. And this woman started to cry, and I'm like, blind. me." And I said, what, what's going on? And she said, that is what this place has done for me. Wow. Friends. So I think at the time we were very interested in that, because what we were creating was actually what we believed was right. Yes. An environment where people could make friends, and actually going forward into community resources, that is just the daily story. Yeah. So now we have a chance to only do that, whereas, interestingly, in the life at community projects, we were doing it, but you had to keep taking your hand off it because suddenly you had to get more people into work or you had to con- yeah. do yeah. this contract or some offset nonsense. But... So the story after story in community resources is that, that people say, I now have people in my life that matter.
0: So that, that, in a sense highlights the difference between outputs and outcomes if we're going to get impact related about this because your outputs were ticking the box doing the thing reporting to the government saying this is what we've done this is how many people came but the outcome was the unexpected byproduct so confident confident parents i mean that's huge being able to help them with their homework and making friends i mean that's that's the stuff I think ultimately that we all want, isn't it, really? We all want friendship. We all want connection. We all want belonging. Um, And in a way, we get so caught up in the woods of doing the thing that we forget what the real outcome should be, which is connection. That's profound, really. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, go on.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think the interesting thing with community resources over this last... 10 years now is exploring how we do that without it becoming a formula
0: Mm. but
1: but just creating an environment and we're actually doing a lot of exploration around that of what does it take to create that environment because if we keep focused on the thing the drop-in club the you know the craft group the lunch club you really can't just produce a widget.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: You, you really can. Yeah, and yeah. you feel you've done something really useful. So we're really asking ourselves a question in the same way as we did back in Lifeline Project C. What was it that enabled those women in Hackney to make friends? Is it any adult literacy programme? Actually, no, it isn't. So... I think there's something very interesting in the intentionality of the environment you create. But firstly, we've got to recognise that it is as important for people to connect together as it is to gain the skill or the whatever. Mm. And that actually doesn't happen by accident.
0: No. And creating environments in which that can take place, whether it be a course... I mean, one of the things there are so many things that have come out of community resources, one of which, of course, is Peace Together, which is a national program helping women overcome history, in some cases, of great trauma through smashing pots and rebuilding them. It's a phenomenal program Um, and helping people discover their purpose as well. And but that that's that's the thing. But. The byproduct, of course, is the community that you create, the friendships that are built. The same is true of Cafe Connect and uh, Creative English, where people just people, many, many of whom are completely isolated because they've come to this country and they don't know anybody to suddenly be told there is a place you can go where you can learn, but also have fun and laugh I think that's the profound thing. Laughter brings a lot of connection in between with people. And I think that's something that really comes out a lot in the stories I hear of what goes on in, in Castle Point Hub. So you talked also about BD Collective. Tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about the partnerships that you've built. Because I think you have two, two strings to what you do, at least if not many more, but two key ones. And one of which is your ability to just partner with any statutory organisation. Tell us a bit about that. How does that happen? How do you facilitate that? And what impact does that have?
1: So the, the premise to the FIDI Collective was that it was a values-driven movement that was about enabling the social sector to lead in, in collaboration rather than in the kind of independent competition that had developed. And um, It's been a four-year journey. Um, of great trauma the interesting (laughs) thing and and I think the focus of it was is there more we can do together than individually as none of us and I think one of the flaws for me looking back on Lifeline Project days was I genuinely believed we were the best people to do whatever we were doing because we had the relationship with the people we were supporting I do think that was a really big flaw of course we weren't And that's why we actually got into trouble, because we were probably very good at delivering children's centres. We were terrible at delivering employability programmes. But because we had the relationship with people, we knew laundry jobs, we thought, well, we have to get into that because we're the answer to that. It was wrong. But we did have the relationship that we could have then carried people to other places. So part of the premise of the BD Collective is we all have a piece of the pie, And what if we can find ways to work that together, particularly through funding sources, where a small organisation and a big organisation can sit side by side and do the thing they're really good at. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that a small organisation then has to get into a huge contract. It's just they can build their capacity with the 5,000 grant they would have got anyway with a view to maybe the next year, 10, 15, whatever, and you allow the others to do the 50,000, 100,000, you know, whatever it might be. Um, We have seen two and a half million pounds come in over that for for years and created a consortia around social isolation. Um, We're just about to start hospital discharge, a neighbourhood model, a whole range of things. Um, Exploring, again, what does it look like to work relationally? Not, Not kumbaya, but pragmatic of genuine building trust connection accountability and power sharing, the other values. Um, We work closely with statutory partners, um, again, relationally, and they have actually been very open to trialling a different way of doing this and taking some risk in that process. I think the thing we're encountering now is the reality of... um, Government contracting again. So it starts off very creative, but in the end, at the end of the day, comes down to are these outputs met? So we're really reviewing is it even possible with statutory funding to try something different? Mm. It be fascinating. And I think the biggest resistance four years on, and now that there is quite a decent money flow, is the status quo of the social sector. Right. Because actually, People don't want to work collaboratively. And actually, we are all wired to we actually do have the answer.
0: Isn't that interesting? Gosh, so in a way, yeah, it's not ego, but it, it's, I guess it's just feeling the passion that drives people to create a charity in the first place makes them think that they are the only ones who can solve that issue, I guess.
1: And, and we have been conditioned by funders. Mm-hmm really conditioned to learn to be the ones with the answer rather than be the ones with the question. So we're in the social isolation, we saying, saying we don't know what what is actually the route through for someone not to be socially isolated. In fact, there's a million routes through mm. there's probably some core elements. So let's stop developing these stupid programs that are this is going to solve social isolation. And we actually think it will because we we're, we're conditioned to Do that we come up with a project and a solution a bit of funding and at the end of the funding you say oh yeah maybe that didn't work so we're trying to keep saying to people let's ask questions, let's do prototyping
0: Hmm. not projects It's tricky isn't it because of course everything requires money and um, governments are programmed to think in a particular very linear way when it comes to such things so it's a real challenge wow yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because the, the relationship with, particularly with Barkey and Dagenham, has been a very strong one, hasn't it, over the years? Yeah. Um, to what extent do you think that's changed over the years? Have Have you seen that develop and change constructively?
1: I mean, I think, well, I think over, I mean, 20, like 30 years in this era, oh, it, it yeah. has changed. Drastically. I think I think we went through a very traditional council where it was like back off to anything the social sector to a real embracing of that and building something together. I think today in the world of just the squeeze of local authorities, you can feel the creativity. There's a real struggle around that again. And I can really understand that. And I think increasingly the... We've seen real new openings with health in a way that we just didn't before. So that's been Mm. really interesting. In fact, probably at the moment, there's more openness in health than there is in the local authority. And I think that's just because the environment and the way that is. So I think for me, I I never see it as a block. I always see it as individual relationships. And really make a point of developing that. We've always sought to come with a support and a solution rather than a You must. You should. But so that so it's we can do challenge within that in quite an interesting way. But it's it's tough for statutory bodies at the moment, really tough. Mm. And I think my biggest challenge to the council is because because is that they try to be the community rather than the council at times. So the the council, I think particularly those staff that were involved in children's centres and all that stuff, they. They want to be frontline community, and they can't be, and that's okay. But there's still that thing that it, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, the pressure of of wanting to be everything. Um, yeah. It's an interesting one that the statutory services, I guess, are just hampered by political realities as well. Um, I, as as we go to um, yeah, as we're recording this. Birmingham has just announced that they are completely snowed under. They cannot survive financially, which is deeply concerning. And and I guess a direct result of austerity because they lost 600 million pounds a year or something crazy from their budget. So the rise of the voluntary sector in meeting the needs has been immense. It's been great, but it puts an incredible pressure on the partnerships and the, um, the, the way in which people work. Well,
1: maybe. So I think Mm. that's the thing we're exploring. So what we're saying is, if we're using the term that the voluntary sector has been colonised by the state.
0: Right. (laughs) So
1: so we have become the state with a different hat. We are providing services. Mm. And we're allowing ourselves to be driven by those services, by the contracts that we enter into. So we are really the state with a different face. Our challenge from a collective point of view is how do we decolonize that and the biggest challenge is is to the organizations who have allowed to be who have become service providers and I I own that for myself I can see where I move towards service provision rather than recognizing that actually if I create environments in which people can connect and maybe start to support each other that is more significant than the service that I will provide for them. The yeah. service might still be needed, but I've got to recognise we are not the community. So it's really interesting. There's a huge challenge for civil society at the moment because of, I think, of this colonisation issue.
0: Hmm. The voluntary
1: sector have in themselves, and it's funny because when I say... BD Collective, or when I went back to Barkham-Dagenham to talk to the different colleagues to set up BD Collective, I'd been at this event that um, Julia Unwin had led a re- that came out from the Civil Society Futures Report. This was like in 2019. And she said, I could have spoken to government you know, ministers about this report. And she said, I felt I needed to speak to the sector leaders because we have become the gatekeepers to the community. Mm. We don't actually want people to have the power to shape their own communities. We want to be the ones who shape the communities because we know best. And it that really, means. really hit me between the eyes. And I thought, I am that person. I, I believe I know best for the people we connect with in Barker and Adaginon. And that's just nonsense. I'm someone who lives in Barkhane and Dagenham and has a view and has skills to create and, and facilitate. I don't know what's best. And so I think part of that exploration through community resources and also the wider context and the collective has been really fascinating because you, if you allow people to find solutions, they mm. do. So the civil society, you know, and, it, and like we have this... Um, mum's group that meets the Friday and they wanted to particularly look at issues around mental health and the person was facilitating it says oh they want to get a mental health professional in to talk about that and I said oh for goodness sake that's ridiculous and we had some money I said no that's ridiculous we're not doing that and thankfully my colleague said to me Avril we don't decide they decide yes <laughs> so like Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's what we've agreed, isn't it? So, backed off. Actually, as it's happened, those women have come with many other solutions. And actually, a wee bit of it was about a professional, but actually it was about some, what they, they themselves came to the conclusion of. The most significant thing is us meeting together and support, you know, and, and being a friend to each other. So, it was a really helpful thing for me to recognise. I easily could have just come in and said no. Mm-hmm which would have then disempowered them from thinking, well, we can make any decisions really. And it's just fascinating. We do that all the time. So as as sector leaders, we've got to make a choice that civil society is not our organisation.
0: It's very interesting. And also I've noticed that there's a, um, to an extent, there's a a formalisation of this. In the 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 funding that you um, the Land Kelly Chase stuff, whereby you encourage local people to come up with ideas and then fund those ideas as as by the local people, it's very difficult because sometimes they really don't know quite what they want. Yeah, but that's okay. But that's okay. Yeah, and, and in fact, we've seen one fantastic group come out of that, which is this um, disabled lady talk. You know, helping people to who are in wheelchairs and who are you know, um, physically impaired to be able to have exercise classes and stuff, which is brilliant.
1: Yeah. And we've also seen the mum's group and we've seen some stuff through the men. And it's it's really interesting. So from a collective point of view, we've pulled together this um working with the UCL team, who are amazing, to, to practice what prototyping looks like rather than projects. And we've got a bunch okay. of funding around that, particularly looking at social isolation. So... We're just, we've done the first workshop in that, and it was just, you know, people's heads were sore. Because it's that thing of, ask a question. What are you trying to solve, not what is the solution? And wow. it is such a change mm. in the way we approach things. And like the whole workshop was, a, it was just really, really interesting. So we've got a second one coming up. And you can see people really grappling with it. Like, what is the question, not what is
0: the answer? Yeah, what's the answer we want to to right. give to other people? I mean, I think in a way, business does that as well, successful business. So Apple decided to solve the issue of mobile computing using the iPad. And it, they created this thing that no one thought they needed until they needed. <laughs> you know, it's a similar sort of thing. It's a different way of looking at at the world I guess One of the things it comes back to really Is the fact that It's about empowering local People to connect And it's You know f- providing Facilities where that can happen Organically I guess that's basically what we're Saying
1: Yeah I think there's a really Interesting um, podcast that was done With a woman called Jenny Poppy um, And Through the ratio talks thing that we've supported and she talked about inequality being too pronged so you've got the individual inequality issue and empowering that individual to recognize they actually do have power and see, and you've also got the structural inequalities and i've i've always erred towards the empowering the person and you see something change but i think i really something hit me when i was listening to that podcast of it's both Mm, yes. when we come across people with housing issues we can support them to be more assertive to be clearer to be pursuing their own case but there is a structural inequality around housing that cannot be dealt with by an individual and what does it look like to 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 build those movements that also tackle the structural inequalities and that takes that takes a group, that takes a lot of people. And I think for me, it's both, it's, it's both and. So our role in community resources is to support individuals and to empower them to know, particularly by connecting together, mm-hmm. that they're not alone and actually together they might be able to do something that they couldn't do individually. But our role also in community resources is to, is to gather other organisations and other people of influence to actually tackle the structural inequality. And those two things together are really vital because that's how we can change society and tackle the just the actual reality that people who are poor die younger.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah. People
1: in Barkin the Diagonal have a five year less life expect healthy life expectancy than someone in Westminster. That that is a reality, and it is appalling.
0: It's the same in, in other cities. I know Sheffield has a, a similar sort of discrepancy in two parts of their city. Yeah, um, and these are big issues. And it goes back to, goes back to the, third, the third way, Tony Blair's original philosophical drive towards both the agency of the individual and the structure that needs to be sorted. I mean, I could go into the academic side of it, but I won't. <laughs> I'd love to. But anyway, that's another podcast. Avril, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And uh, yeah, have a wonderful day. Thanks. See See you later. Thank you for spending your time listening to this. Do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. And feel free to follow me, David Simmons, of Absolute Communication and Cinema Network on LinkedIn. Thank you.